stand and let's sing this together for first Noel.
seated. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning. If you're a guest with us, we just want to especially welcome you. Uh, we'd love the opportunity just to be able to connect with you. You can do that in a couple of ways. Uh, you'll see a little white guest registration card there in the pew rack in front of you. If you take just a moment to fill that out, it's a great way for us to be able to connect with you. Or else, if you would prefer doing it on your phone, you can do it that way. We've got a QR code that uh, should pop up here in a moment on the screen, and you can uh, you know, scan that and fill it out online. Either way you fill it out, we'd ask, come by the welcome desk. We've got a, a free uh, welcome to First Baptist uh, you know, Church Manchester mug for you. We'd love to give you as well just for being here this morning. So thank you uh, for being here, and again, we just want to welcome you and, and have you feel a part of our church family. This morning, uh, we get the pleasure of beginning our service with a baptism, and so this is my friend Shana Aiken, and Shana is uh, a junior in high school. Uh, she's the niece of Dalton and Savannah Mai, and um, uh, Shana, you know, baptism is a picture of a person identifying as a Christ follower. Uh, identifying with his death, with his burial in the tomb, and with his resurrection out of the tomb, identifying uh, as a Christ follower and the victory that you have in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible, uh, it also tells us that if uh, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, that you'll be saved. And so that's uh, what Shane has done in her life. And so um, if, <clears throat> if your family or friends with her, her aunt and uncle uh, Savannah and Dalton Mai and their family are here. If you're family or friends of hers, would you please stand in her honor? Thank you. Thank you guys for standing. Uh, it's, 
it's a again an exciting moment in, in uh, her life. She lives with, with Savannah and Dalton and through their influence. Uh, she placed her faith and trust in Jesus. Shana, this morning, will you confess in front of your family and friends that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. Awesome. Upon your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's uh, always fun to do these what we call unplugged uh, services, and uh, it's, it's great to get to have Becky Buller with us this morning. To, to yeah, but I've got some other great, really talented musicians up here: Andy Gibson on the guitar, and Andy Barnard on the drums, and yeah, Melody Rampy on the uh, on the singing. <laughs> And uh, my wife, Susan, over here on the keys, tickling the ivories. Uh, Brady's going to be, he's been preaching through, uh, like, hymns of Christmas, which are, are carols. And uh, each week he's been doing that. And so I'll do the song that he does that. that today he's preaching on the song, uh, What Child Is This? Uh, hadn't you loved these, the series on the hymns? Hasn't that been cool? Yeah. Thank you, Brady, for doing that. But this is, uh, this is my version of what child is this. Y'all hang on. Let's get up a little bit. You know, stand up. Let's sing it. Y'all can sing along. Yeah. 
Feel free to stand up at any point you want. So. <laughs> then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. As 
come before you this morning just loving you, loving you for all you did for us, for coming as a little baby, leaving your throne in heaven, putting on the flesh of people, and suffering through a life as a human just for us. We thank you for that, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray for Brady this morning as he comes to bring your message. May you use him to touch our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What an incredible job that they did leading us in worship this morning. I am so thankful. Yeah. First Baptist Church is incredibly blessed with talented people, and I am so thankful for that. 
This morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, will you open to Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11? If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brady Martin. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist, um, and I would love to get to know you. As you can tell, things are in full swing of Christmas around here, and before long, it's going to be 2024. 2024. And I want to just take a moment to tell you about something we're going to be doing here at First Baptist. We are going to be doing a reading challenge, what we're calling the 2024 Bible Reading Challenge. And we're going to challenge everyone to read through the New Testament next year uh, together. This plan is called the 5 by 5 by 5 plan, all right? And it sounds like something a politician would say. I get that. But it's called the 5 by 5 by 5 plan, all right? And it's, uh, what it stands for is five minutes a day, five days a week, and there's five ways to dig deeper into that text. And so you have a plan in your bulletin this morning. There'll be some more at the Welcome Center afterwards, and you can read more about that. But I want to encourage you to take our Bible reading challenge in 2024. I also want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services next Sunday. It, Christmas Eve is on Sunday, so we're moving all of our services from the morning to the evening. And so we will have Christmas Eve services at 3, 4, 30, and 6. We'd love for you to be at that one. Um, we'd love for you to be there. Um, and so we would we look forward to worshiping together next Sunday at 3, 4.30, and 6. It's going to be an incredible service with communion and candlelight, and so make sure you and your family are with us next Sunday. I also want to just say uh, briefly a word about our Christmas light show. Our Christmas light show began on Friday, Saturday, and will be again tonight. And I just want to um, uh, say that Cade Pittman... Our technical director here has put, on, put an incredible amount of work and um, technical excellence in this. And I just want to say a word about this. God is the one who has created all things. Amen? He's created light and sound. And he's created all of these things. And these things are going to be present in heaven one day. And one of the things I think is so incredible is when people use their gifts to be able to use God's creation, to use things like light to bring him glory and draw attention to the Savior's birth. And I'm so thankful for Kate and his team for what they are doing and serving our church that way. So make sure you come out. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that there are certain questions we just ask at Christmas time? Certain questions it gets, get asked every Christmas, such as, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Or, Jake, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, right? We, what are your plans this Christmas? And You ask your grandkids and your kids, you ask, what do you want for Christmas? We, would, we ask questions such as, have you been naughty or nice? We ask questions like, have you finished your Christmas shopping yet? It's getting pretty close, guys, all right? We ask questions at Christmas. We might call them the questions of Christmas. But this morning, I want to tell you that there is one question that every person in this room must ask and answer this Christmas season. And it is simply this. Who is the baby that is in the manger? Who is the baby that is in the manger? And the way you answer that question will change your life now and for eternity. This morning, we're continuing our series called The Carols of Christmas, where we are looking at a familiar carol and the scriptures that inspired it, 
and seeing how it points us to the deeper meaning of Christmas. And today, our carol, What Child Is This?, asks a simple question. Who is the baby in the manger? Let me give you a little information about this carol. It was written by a man named William Dix in 1865. So this is, would be at the end of the Civil War period, um, just to put it in a timeline. He was 29 when he wrote this song. I don't know what you did by the time you were 29, but he had written a song that we're singing 150 years later. But he wrote this song in a particular difficult time of his life. He had gone through disease and depression, and he wrote this song as healing for his soul. The melody, he took the melody from a familiar tune called Green Sleeves, and he took a familiar tune, put this great meaning to it in the what child is this, asking this question, and the song caught on like wildfire, and we still sing it today. But I want you to know, William Dix was not writing this question, what child is this, because he didn't know the answer. He knew the answer to the question, didn't he? He knew that it was an invitation for every person who heard the song to reflect on how meaningful the answer is. What child is this? Who is the baby in the manger Here's our big idea for the morning. How you answer the question, who is the baby in the manger, will change your life now and forever. How you answer the question, who's the baby in the manger, will change your life now and forever. So to answer this question, let's go to a familiar place. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The word of God says, But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you. And catch this last part. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? This morning, I want to exegete and exposit that last phrase. Who is the Messiah, the Lord? It's telling us who the baby in the manger is. Now, the CSB translates it, the Messiah. Other translations translate it, Christ the Lord. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. You see, the Greek word here that we translate, Messiah in the CSB, Christ in other translations, the Greek word is Christos. Well, you say, well, then why didn't we just translate it Christ? Well, the word Christos in the Greek is the equivalent of the hebrew word messiah and so even in saying christos what it meant was most literally messiah and so this is a good reminder for us that when we say jesus christ christ is not jesus's last name it's his title it's jesus messiah jesus the anointed one jesus the christ and this text tells us that the angel is proclaiming to the shepherds and saying that the baby in the manger is the long-awaited Messiah. Well, what does that mean? What would the shepherds have thought about? What would they have understood when the angel told them that the baby in the manger is the Messiah, the long-awaited one to rescue Israel? Pastoring in Texas, I got a call from a man and he had called our church office and asked to speak to the pastor. And so the secretary forwarded him on to me. And I wasn't ready for this phone call. I just got to tell y'all. 
he begins with with a really deep kind of Dutch accent and he tells me that he's from Pennsylvania and he's Amish I'm like never got a phone call from an Amish person before but I've got one now and he says sir I wondered if you could help me okay I've got my ear now what's going on he says well he says my son he works for a disaster relief group and they've been down in Texas and he's had a medical episode and he's got left behind from the group because of his medical episode and he is stuck in your town and he I have a he has a bus ticket but it's for tomorrow and he has no place to stay could y'all help him and before before I answered I want you to know I looked there are no Amish or Mennonites in your area and I figured Baptist was the next closest thing So I said, I said, sure. I said, I think we can help him. We can, we can go down. We can get him a hotel and all of this. And, you know, and then some of the logistics started going in my head of how we're going to do this. And um, you see, he said, well, you can't call me back. So I'm just going to trust that you do it because we only have one phone in our village and it's a party line and you won't necessarily get me. And it'll take me about 20 minutes to get back to the phone if you call. And so he said, that's probably not going to happen. And I said, okay, that's no problem. I can take care of him. We can get him the hotel. And he said, and he said he'll be at this gas station, certain gas station in town. He's there. But he goes, I, but I can't call him either because he doesn't have a cell phone. And I get to thinking, okay. By this point, some of the other ministers have figured out what's going on, and they decided they want to go with me and meet this guy, right? And so we... Um, I say, okay, well, here's the thing. I said, I'll go up there, and I'm going to meet this guy who doesn't know I'm coming to help him, all right? So I'm going to go introduce myself and all this, and I I got to thinking, well, how am I I going to recognize his son? How am I going to know which one it is in this gas station? So I, I go, well, sir, I said, I'm happy to help, but how am I going to recognize your son? And And then he got real quiet, and he said, well, he's going to be the Amish one. Touche. You see, in the Old Testament, God did not want the Old Testament people to miss his son. He wanted them to recognize him. He wanted them to notice who his son was, who the long-awaited Messiah was. And so he gave us clues all throughout the Old Testament. This morning, I want to show you four puzzle pieces. Four puzzle pieces. Four images that God gives that we are to notice his son and the Messiah. And so this morning, the first puzzle piece I want us to see in answering the question, what child is this? Is he would be the serpent crusher. He would be the serpent crusher. That's our first puzzle piece. And it begins in the beginning at Genesis chapter 3. You remember the situation in the Garden of Eden the serpent comes and tempts Eve and to eat of that forbidden fruit and he lies and distorts God's word and eventually Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and they sin and rebel against God and because of their sin and rebellion the consequences of sin enter into the world and God begins to pronounce a judgment upon the world there in Genesis 3 it's called the curse And he looks, after pronouncing a judgment on the world because of sin, he looks and pronounces a judgment upon the serpent. 
and he's going to make a promise to the snake. And I want you to notice what he promises to the snake. Genesis 3.15, here's what he promises. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Notice what he says. He, speaking of the seed of the woman, he's telling the snake, he will strike your head. He will crush your head, is what it's saying, and you will strike his heel. What's going on there? This is the first time that the Messiah is ever mentioned in all of human history. This is what scholars call the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. It's the first time that in all of Scripture, now it's not in full as we know in the New Testament, but this is the first time in all of human history that the Messiah is mentioned. We are told that a hero will come and will rescue the people and fix what is broken. And how will he fix what is broken? He will crush the head of the serpent, though the serpent will strike its heel. In other words, the Messiah will crush the serpent, but the serpent will inflict some pain and damage upon the Messiah. This idea is summed up beautifully here in this picture. Here in this picture, in this famous piece of art, notice Eve with a serpent around her heel. But God promises that one of her descendants would crush the head of that serpent who tempted her in the garden and led humanity astray. And then notice on the other side, Mary pregnant with the Messiah who would crush Satan through the cross. What a beautiful picture of biblical history. You see, ever since Genesis 3.15, God's people had been looking for one who would crush the serpent. They had been looking for a rescuer who could come and reverse the effects of the curse as far as the curse is found. So what child is this? Who is the baby in the manger? I want you to know very clearly this morning that he is the long-awaited serpent crusher who would go to the cross and defeat Satan, though death would wound him temporarily, like a bruise. But on the third day, he would rise triumphantly over Satan. Because Satan, that old snake, may have bruised his heel, but Jesus Christ crushed his head when he walked out of that tomb. Jesus, that baby in the manger, is not just a cute baby. He is the serpent crusher. And because of that, we can have victory this Christmas season. So that's number one. He's the serpent crusher. That's the first puzzle piece. The second is that he is the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. Who are Abraham's true descendants? That is a question that has been asked for a long time. And it's still asked today. Was it Isaac or Ishmael? Was it Jacob or Esau? Is it the Israelites or the Arab people? Why is that such a big question? Why do people fight so much about who are the descendants of Abraham? It's because God made a promise to the seed of Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land and relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Notice that all the peoples on the earth, all the nations will be blessed because of Abraham's descendants. Later, God promises that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars, and they will bless the whole world. So everyone wants to know, who is the seed of Abraham? Well, I'm so glad that Paul gives us the answer in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, 16 says this. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one. Who is the seed of Abraham ultimately? It's one, he says. And to your seed, who is it? We don't have to wonder. Who is the seed of Abraham? It is Christ, the Messiah. He is the seed of Abraham. This is incredible, and one of the most important theological truths that we have to understand, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of God's people. It is through him that all the nations will be blessed. Think about it like this. The faith of Israel in the Old Testament was located geographically in a place the size of New Jersey. All right? It was in a place the size of New Jersey. But through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham, now the faith that once was there in Israel, the faith of Christianity now spreads over the entire planet. Something that was located in a small area has now exploded into the whole world, fulfilling what Genesis 12 promised. Because now, think about this, anyone can be included in Abraham's family, whether Jew or Gentile, by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the seed of Abraham. And because of your faith in Jesus, it says you are now a child of God in the line of Abraham, and you are part of Abraham's seed because you are connected to Jesus Christ. That is how we become part of Abraham's family. Now, growing up, we sang a song. Now, I know some of you didn't sing this because I, I gave a, a survey to our staff this week, but I grew up singing this song called Father Abraham. I need a survey of hands. How many of y'all knew the song Father Abraham? All right. And so it's basically, if you don't know it, the Christian hokey pokey, all right? But it goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Well, I sang that all the time, but I never understood the theological concept behind it. The way that I am a child of Abraham is because I have a relationship with the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. And because I'm in that, I'm now in God's family. This means that any person today, whether you're Jew or Gentile, can be part of God's family and experience his blessings because of our relationship with the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. But catch this. It also means that we're called up into the mission that Abraham was given, which was to be a blessing to all nations that we see in the Great Commission. You see, the fulfillment of Genesis 12 is Matthew 28. And so what we, one of the things we do at Christmas every year here at First Baptist is take our world's missions offering. Because we want to be a blessing to the nations because Jesus is the seed of Abraham and because we're connected to him. 
And this year, I want to tell you, I'm so thankful to say that we have already met our world missions offering goal, and you've given over $30,000. Isn't that incredible? This is what God had promised. This is what God has promised in saying that the people of God are going to be a blessing to all the nations. That's it being fulfilled right now as you give to the world's missions offering. So the first puzzle piece is that Jesus will be the serpent crusher. The second puzzle piece is that Jesus will be the seed of Abraham. The third puzzle piece is that he will be the great deliverer. The great deliverer. You see, the, the picture was that one day there would be a leader who would come who would be greater than the greatest leader of Israel's history. The greatest leader in Israel's history was named Moses. And Moses... After Abraham's descendants had, during a period of famine, gone into Egypt, God had raised Moses up because the people of God had become enslaved to the Egyptians. And he raised up Moses to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh and from Egypt. You remember the story. Moses goes and tells Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh says, yes, a bunch. And then he changes his mind, you know. And eventually, through all the plagues, Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. And he sends them on their way. And Moses is leading God's people away from Egypt into the promised land. But then Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them. And God parts the Red Sea. The people go through on dry land. And when the Egyptian army comes, the seas collapse, destroying the Egyptian army. And Moses would lead the people in the wilderness all the way right near the promised land. And all of Israel's history, they were saying, when will we have another leader like Moses? Because Deuteronomy 18.15 spoke of this. Here's what Deuteronomy 18.15 says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. Among your own brothers, you must listen to him. Moses is saying, there's another greater one coming. There's a greater Moses coming, one who will be like me, but he will be able to deliver you from an even greater captivity than what I delivered. You see, Jesus, that baby in the manger, what child is this? He is the one who would grow up to deliver his people, not just from Egypt or Pharaoh, but from the power of sin, death, and the devil. He came to set you free. This morning, when you see the manger, I want to remind you, it was God's plan to set you free. If you're struggling this morning with wrong attitudes, words, actions, addictions, and you just feel you are trapped in sin, I want to tell you this morning that the baby in the manger was born to set you free from your sin. He can set you free from drugs, alcohol, pornography, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, or maybe just indifference. I want you to know this morning, there is no sin that you are struggling with that is more powerful than the deliverer, Jesus Christ, who can set you free this morning. So when we look to the manger, don't just see a cute baby. See God's plan of deliverance for you and me. So the first puzzle piece is that he would be the serpent crusher. The second puzzle piece is that he's the seed of Abraham. The third puzzle piece is that he's the great deliverer. 
And the fourth puzzle piece for them to understand what is the Messiah, what is he going to look like, is that he would be the king of kings. The king of kings. The angel is intentional in this passage to point out to the shepherds where the baby was born. This had a practical reason. The shepherds were going to go see him, and so he, they needed to know. But notice how specific he is. The baby is born in Bethlehem, the city of David. You see, there had been another baby born hundreds of years before, and everyone had overlooked him. He was a young shepherd boy. No one thought he would amount to much, except for God. And God had chose this young man who no one would have expected to be the king of Israel. You see, one day when he was young, young man, Israel faced an enemy, the Philistine army and Goliath of Gath. And no one would fight him. Even King Saul and all of his warriors were too afraid to fight. But it was David who stepped up on behalf of God's people and said, I will fight God's enemy because I trust in my God to deliver us. And David fought when none of the people would. And he fought not just for himself. And he didn't just fight for God. He fought for God's people. He went on behalf of God's people. And when he won the victory, his victory became their victory. You see, he did not just win merely by inspiration, but by imputation. He won by his victory becoming theirs. And so the people had been wondering, when are we going to have another king like David? When would another king come on the throne like David? And God had even made a promise in 1 Kings 9, 5. Notice this promise. He said, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. The promise is that one day David's throne would be filled again by one of David's descendants. The question is, who is the heir of David? Who is the one who will reign forever on the throne of David? Have you ever noticed in the genealogies in the Gospels that they are so careful to show you that Jesus is in the line of David? Because he is the heir to the promise. Because he is the king of kings who will reign forever. Notice this. David's kingdom was temporary and geographically small. He ruled an area the size of New Jersey. But Jesus' kingdom is eternal and ever-expanding. So when we look to the manger, make sure that we see in that baby the heir of David, the true king of kings. I once heard Tony Evans, the pastor there in Dallas, he, he once said, he said, we live in a divided world. You have the left, the right, the Democrats, the Republicans. We have Tennessee Volunteers, Crimson Tide, Georgia Bulldogs. We live in a divided world, don't we? But here's what Tony Evans said. He said, when Jesus came into the world, he did not come to take sides. He came to take over. 
there's some well-meaning people who will often say something like, you just need to accept Jesus into your life. You just need to accept Jesus into your life. And they mean well. But brothers and sisters, hear me very clearly this morning. Jesus never calls us to accept him into our lives as if he's an ingredient that can make our lives better. Jesus does not call us just to accept him into our lives. He calls us to get on our knees and surrender to him as king of kings and lord of lords. That is who Jesus is. The baby in the manger demands your loyalty, allegiance, and worship because he is the king like no other. He is the king of kings over everything. You see, the story of Christmas is not just a cute story to give us warm feelings like a Hallmark movie. It's to tell us the story of who's in charge. And one day, the king of kings is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be different than his first coming. You see, in his first coming, Jesus came as a baby. But when he comes back, he's coming back as a conquering king. When he came the first time, he was laid in a manger. When he comes back, he's going to sit on a throne. When he came the first time, he rode a donkey. When he comes back, he's going to be riding on the clouds. When he came the first time, he came to seek and to save when he's coming back, he's coming to rule and to reign. When he came the first time, not many people even noticed his first coming. But when he returns, when Jesus returns, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Messiah. Because that is who he is. So this morning, back to our big idea. How will you answer the question? Who is the baby in the manger? Because how you answer that question will change your life now and forever. The United Nations estimates that 385,000 babies are born every day. 385,000. That's 140 million babies per year. We don't know how many babies have been born in human history. But some guess it's around 80 billion babies. But of those 80 billion babies that have been born, there's only been one baby that has been born that divides history between B.C. and A.D. There's only one baby who was both fully God and fully man. There's only one baby who left heaven's palace to be born in Bethlehem's stable. There's only one baby who fulfilled 300 direct prophecies from the Old Testament. And there's only one baby that ever faced the serpent and crushed his head. There's only one baby who would grow up to be the seed of Abraham. There's only one baby who would grow up to be greater than Moses. There's only one baby who would be the king of kings and who will reign forever. Everyone in this room must ask this question this morning. What child is this? Who is the baby in the manger? Because that question will change your life now and forever. God wants you to recognize his son this morning. And if you do, then you'll know what Christmas is all about. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to our rescue.
Father Christmas reminds us that we are a needy people and we need a hero to rescue us. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now who does not know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. I pray that they will have heard him proclaim this morning. And I pray the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to stir in them conviction and to overwhelm them with the beauty of Christmas. And Father, I pray for all of us that we will once again look into that manger and we will see God's rescue plan for us. That we won't miss his son this Christmas. That we will see that he is all that the Old Testament promised. That he's won the victory for us by crushing the serpent. That he, he is the way we become a part of God's people as the seed of Abraham. That he has delivered us from the penalty and power of sin, even greater than Moses delivered Israel from Egypt. And that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will bow down and worship. Press these truths into our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. This morning, if you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone, I'll be down front. If you would like to join our church or follow the Lord in baptism, as we saw earlier, I would love to talk with you. But now let's stand and respond.
Yes. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thanks again for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I want to remind you that the offering boxes are in the back wall there as you exit. Uh, and also uh, look ahead a little bit. So uh, January 3rd, uh, we will resume our Wednesday night activities. And a part of that is an adult study that we're calling Better Together. So last year we did a what we called a unified study that instead of on Wednesday nights, adults splitting up into a bunch of different uh, options. Uh, we, we gathered and did one study together and uh, shared in that experience all together. So we're going to be doing that starting uh, Wednesday, January 3rd. And it's going to be a little bit different in the fact that we're going to gather here in the worship center. We're going to have our prayer time together. Uh, Brady's going to be delivering the content that we'll be reacting to and, and discussing in small groups. Uh, we, you'll be receiving booklets that Wednesday night that'll have a little information uh, to help guide you through the process, the questions, and then each week there'll be a few scripture passages to reflect on and prepare for the next week's lesson. So we're excited about this opportunity to be doing something together. We'll be better together is about the idea of biblical community and how we can live in that together and explore that together. So we're excited about that. We've got a great uh, uh, evening tonight with a light show. If you haven't caught it, I hope you'll be back here tonight at 6, 7, or 8 o'clock. And uh, that's a really great thing. And then we'll be back for Christmas Eve. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, we love you and thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that uh, this baby that was in a manger uh, means so much to us and to the world. So God, we thank you uh, that you would send him on our behalf to, uh, to demonstrate your majesty and your glory and power, God. So uh, help us as we uh, get into the real season here in these few days, really focusing on Christ and Christmas, that uh, we would just be mindful of how you have expressed your love through the Christ child. So we love you and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.